You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. It's a big God. I want to see 2020 uh, filled with just God's faithfulness and us reaching new people and touching new lives and growing ourselves and anyway it's exciting to exciting today so uh, if you're a visitor with us this morning we're glad that you have chosen to come and uh, worship the Lord with this expression of his body and uh, I always say this uh, every week make yourself at home um, take your shoes off if you want to uh, just uh, enjoy the presence of the Lord and uh, just listen for him to speak to you, because even if you're not from here or you're not necessarily a, a member of this uh, congregation, God knows how to speak to you. If you put yourself in a position where you can hear and you seek him and you ask and you knock, he promises you he's going to come through and deliver, regardless of where you are today. If you're broken, if you're hurt, if you're happy, if you're blessed, re- regardless of where you are, he wants to interact with you and he wants to speak into your life and he, he wants, to, uh, he wants to bless you, and, uh, and that's, that's a good thing. So you're in a good spot today. Um, just open your heart up to the Lord and let him uh, minister to you. Um, are the kids going to children's ministry? So we're, we're going to let the kids go to children's ministry and uh, pray for them and pray for the people that are serving with them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, children that you have entrusted uh, to our care, Lord, but we also recognize, Lord, that they are a vital part of this congregation, Lord. Um, As they live and as they grow and as they hunger and thirst and as we are called upon to minister to them, Lord, you bring growth and you bring um, character, Lord, to to their lives and our lives as well. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us grace to be able to... um, to minister the gospel in its simplicity to kids and that you would help us, Lord, not to overlook them or to see them as just a uh, responsibility instead of seeing them as the great pleasure that you see uh, in them, Lord, and that we would recognize the potential, the unique potential in each one of them. And I pray for those that are ministering to them and leading them today, Lord, give them an extra measure of grace um, to be able to do what you've called them to do, and I pray that they would rejoice um, as they see their, their, the fruit of their labor, Lord, in the lives and the hearts of these kids. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start a new series this morning um, from the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I have uh, titled it Rebuild, Restore, and Renew. And we're going to be working our way through, probably not uh, verse by verse, even though today, this morning, Uh, That's where we're going to start with the very beginning of the book. Um, But uh, we're going to work our way through um, just the principles that we see in the book of uh, Nehemiah. So just to kind of set the stage for you guys and let you know, some people are very familiar with uh, the book of Nehemiah. We have taught through it many times before. Um, But just to kind of set the stage so that if you're not familiar with it um, or if it's been a while since you've been there, um, just to kind of tell you a, a little bit about the background of the story and the setting of the story, um, when, uh, when 
when God's people came into the um, promised land, um, God promised them, he said, if you'll be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. But he said, if you turn your back on me, you're going to find yourself uh, under judgment. And you're gonna, there's consequences to that. So there's no neutral position there. It's either follow the Lord or not follow the Lord. You can't be neutral on that. And so God warned them ahead of time. And he said, when you come into the land, um, you, know, you, have to, you have to adhere to the things that I'm telling you. They're life for you. But if you turn away from those things, um, you will lose that position. You will lose your position in the land. You will, you, will, um, you will lose the blessings that could be yours. And sure enough, that's exactly what Israel did over and over and over again. Um, they, they walked away from God. They followed um, false gods. They worshiped false gods. In fact, what happened when God gave them the law, when Moses came down the mountain with the law, you saw a picture of where their hearts were because they had, they had um, uh, given up on Moses. We don't know where this guy is. We don't know what's going on with him. And they had made themselves an idol. And they had said of that idol, this is the gods or these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. So they weren't, in, in their mind, they weren't making a, a false god. They were making an image of God. The problem was is that they didn't know God. They didn't know. They knew about him. They knew some things about him, but they made an, an idol that was in their image instead of the, the true God. Um, and so that kind of, you know, set the stage for the whole relationship that they were going to have um, with the Lord um, in their time. And what happened is, is that they would walk away from God and God would give their enemies um, a victory over them. They would repent, they would come back, and then they would walk away again and God would give them, you know, over to their enemies and finally, there was a breaking point. And this breaking point was prophesied many years before it actually happened, that God said, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. And you will be sold into exile, into slavery. And when, when you go into slavery, he told them, he said, don't stay in the land. He said, when, when, you, when, uh, when they come and they capture you, the people that stay in the land are going to be the ones that are the worst off. Submit yourself to the correction of God. Submit yourself to the, to the just punishment for where you have been so that it'll have its deep work in you. So that you will, you will not keep making this same mistake again. And sure enough, they were captured by several different enemies. By that time, Israel was divided. Again, they didn't even keep themselves together for very long. There was only like one or two kings that, were, that they were all together and then the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. The northern tribes became what we call the Samaritans, and the southern tribes is Judah. And Judah is where Jerusalem was, and the northern tribes just so um, uh, historically were so idolatrous. The, not that Judah was not. But the northern tribes were captured, carried off into captivity, and then I think it was like 70 or 80 years later, um, the, Judah was captured and carried off into um, captivity and that's when we see in the book of Daniel um, the, the book of Nehemiah the book of Ezra um, all of these are set after that cataclysmic um, event um, and so that's kind of setting the stage for it Nehemiah is um, a very high official uh, in uh, in the country that he's been carried off into the king is named Artaxerxes um, which is a very cool name. I don't know why anybody doesn't name their kids Artaxerxes. 
Maybe there are some named that. We just call him Art. We just don't know what the whole name is. But um, anyway, so he was, he's a high official um, in that um, country. And Nehemiah 1 is, is where he gets some news um, from Jerusalem. Let me just back up for just a second, though, before I start with that. A um, couple of things. Did anybody have like a word that the Lord spoke to him during worship that maybe you sat on or you missed the opportunity to share? Anybody? Because I just felt like it was really prophetic um, this morning, and I sat on one, but then I get to get up here and say it, you know. And I know it takes a little bit of courage sometimes to speak from the congregation, um, but I also know that sometimes we, like, don't, oh, I should have said that. So I'm going to give you a chance. If anybody had anything that you felt like that God was speaking to you this morning during worship. If not, I'll go. <laughs> so I felt like that God was saying to drink deeply of the water this morning to fill your cup and drink deeply from the water and then he further he was saying that some of us maybe most of us are dehydrated we just need to drink we don't need to eat okay and there's a there's a balance there i'm not saying either one of those things is wrong but there's a balance between a steady diet and the 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 living water of the holy spirit flowing into your life you can be in the word on a regular basis and not be in the spirit and if you are then you're not getting the full benefit of the word and he says this morning i want you to drink you're going to get some word there's no doubt about that but the word without the spirit causes us to dry out and causes us to be deficient in some ways anybody respond anybody feel like maybe that that you just really want to drink from the holy spirit you really want to drink from the living word this morning that word is for you and that, but i believe that word is for us and for me as well um and i want to thank you guys for all your prayer and support for my dad um i went down uh the day after christmas because of some news that we got about him uh and he's been doing fairly well but uh we had some real troubling uh, news some things that he had experienced but also some things that we had heard that he had said that indicated that his time might be very short and um, when I got down there, he was in serious, serious trouble. He had lost his ability to swallow. Um, and the doctors were very pessimistic about it and didn't want to take any what they called, you know, invasive action. Um, this is one of those things, you guys, if y'all have a living will, really pray about it and think about it, you know, because it's not going to necessarily tie your hands, but it is going to be a whole factor that comes into it. Like, what do you want? What, and if... If they're not able to clearly communicate that, um, it's just something to think about ahead of time. Um, and he did have a w living will. We were told that this condition was not going to reverse itself and to prepare ourselves for the end. And so in the miracle of uh, our modern age, you can just put something out on the Internet and people all over the world are praying, you know? And uh, I've seen that so many times before. Um, I know that God answers the prayers of, of righteous people, you know, that, that they're effective, but the, the preponderance, preponderance of prayer also seems to carry just a tremendous amount of weight, you know, whether it's for the need or for the people that are surrounding the need or whatever. And um, we had talked to him about, you know, using a feeding tube, and he said he didn't want a feeding tube, and we were just stuck there. It was just like, so what are we going to do, you know? And so... Um, we decided, you know, we would get a, a, a therapist in and see if he could eat. And so they tried to feed him on 
Friday, I think. I came back, no, no, no. I came back on, on Monday. Oh, Sunday. No, Monday. I can't remember. It's all mixed up. But anyway, the next day, he ate his whole breakfast. And then he ate his whole lunch. And then he ate his whole dinner. And then he ate the next day and the next day. And I was posting updates to people. And finally, I said, I'm not going to update you every time he eats a meal. <laughs> you know. But boy, it was just a miracle. It was just such a miracle uh, turnaround. And right now, he's doing better than he has, has in a long time. Um, just being a little bit more careful you know, about eating uh, and what he eats. Um, but also, just going to the brink like that just reminds you how precious somebody is and how precious every single day that you have. And it reminds me how precious you guys are because you were so faithful to pray and text and, and call and it just the support that we got is just unbelievable. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, but one of the problems that he had was he, that he was dehydrated. So it was a balancing act between being able to supply the, the nutrients that he needed as well as the, um, uh, the uh, uh, what, fluid, water, um, electrolytes, yeah, that he needed. And uh, anyway, so that maybe that informs the, uh, the prophetic word a little bit, but I really feel like God is speaking that to us, is to drink deeply. Don't, don't be meager with this part of it, okay? And this season that we're coming into, I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, today, that this is an opportunity. Over and over again, God gave people opportunities in the Bible, and over and over again, we found some people who were heroic in the way that they responded to it, and other people were just like lackadaisical you know, about it. You guys are heroes. You guys are strong in your faith. I've seen it so much through the years, but let's don't rest on our laurels. Let's ask for more. Let's press in, you know? Let's block out the next four weeks or, you know, Wednesdays on the next four weeks. I know that you guys are praying all the time, but boy, there's just so much power in corporate prayer for every single one of us to come and lend our voice and lend our heart and begin to ask like Caleb was asking during his prayer. So, and the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is um, how significant years uh, with zeros behind them are. So do you remember how, like if you're old enough to remember this, um, how you felt when you were 10, you know, a preteen, how you felt when you were 20, you know, and kind of maybe, I don't know about you, but kind of felt like, okay, now I've, I've arrived, you know, and when I look at a 20-year-old today, they look more like a 10-year-old than they do like a full-grown adult, right? I mean, technically, they may have the body, but there's a lot of growth to do, and you don't always know that. 30, when I turned 30, I got a wake-up call. Because I got a high blood pressure reading for the first time in my life, which I, it was an aberration because I didn't have consistently high blood pressure, but it scared me. I got a cavity. I never had a cavity before. And I had to buy a pair of pants that were bigger around than they were long <laughs> for the first time in my life. And I was miserable. And I said, I am not doing this every time I get to a year that ends in a zero. You know, I'm not going to have a midlife crisis when I get to be 40. You know, just like it's, okay, it's, it's that. It's not, a, it's not the end of a year, it's the end of a decade, you know, and, a, and it's the rite of passage and stuff like that. Having said that, I do think years with a zero behind them are significant because it gives us an opportunity not just to look back to the immediate past, but to the long-range past. And it gives us an opportunity not just to plan for the coming year, but for the coming decade. And I think that's significant. I don't think we should miss that opportunity. Every day is the same with the Lord. 
It's, it's fine to start any new venture on any day, but this is the time of the year for an evaluation. It really is. The Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, was the beginning of their high holy days. It's, I think it's 10 days um, before um, Yom Kippur, the Day of, of Atonement. So the, the beginning of the New Year is a time of celebration and also a time of self-examination. That's what God built into their yearly calendar. And so we stand at the cusp of a new year, stretching out before us, what is it going to be? But we also stand at the cusp of a new decade. And so here's some questions for you just to contemplate. Maybe, maybe take a second and write it down. Maybe write it down in your Bible um, so you will remember it. At the end of this decade, in, in 2030, how old will you be? That shouldn't be hard. Just 10 years more than you are now. How old will your kids be? That, that's an eye-opener. If you write that down and you look at that, how old will my children be in, in 10 years, right? Where will you be? I know we don't all know what the future holds. This past year has been such a, a wake-up call for that. But the people that we have celebrated and the people that we have mourned gave us an opportunity to be able to have a celebration to mix with our mourning, to add to our mourning because of the way they live their lives. In 10 years, where will you be? What will you be doing, right? Where do you, what, what would you hope in 10 years to be for yourself? What would, like if you could, like you could ask God anything and you knew that he would answer it, what would you ask for to be in 10 years, to, to do in 10 years, to, to be involved in in 10 years? I hope that the next few months we can make a significant step in this direction for all of us, corporately, but also individually. Our body grows because we individually grow, but our body grows because we individually work in the vineyard, we work in the work. We, we invest ourselves beyond just our families and beyond just our own self-interest into building the body of Christ, this, express, this precious, precious expression of the body of Christ but also because we work into the world. Because we're not just, we, we don't just look at the immediate and the things that are right before us and our own self-interest, but we look to the interest of God's kingdom and we look to the needs of our community. And that should all come into the, the whole thing. And I hope in the next few months um, that we can make significant steps um, in that uh, direction. I know God has big plans in the, in the decade to come. I know that the decade, we are faced with some challenges maybe that we've never been faced with before, but they are not unforeseen to God. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. And he has hope for the world because of, uh, because of us, because of Christ in us, the hope. And if there's anything that is waxing, just, just becoming more and more uh, predominant in our world, is hopelessness. And we have it. But I guarantee you, we're going to either affect the world or it's going to affect us. And that's why it's the next few weeks and, and months are so important to us that we can sit down and say, this is our values, this is our dreams, this is our hopes. And not just for us to grit our teeth and do it, but to get that from God and partner with Him. Knowing that if He says it, His will is going to be done. It is. And if we hitch our wagon to Him we're going to find ourselves 
moving from glory to glory to glory. Amen? All right. The book of Nehemiah has a lot uh, to teach us about life. It has a lot to teach us about success and failure. Um, A lot to teach us about building and restoring. It's a lot to teach us about um, our relationship with each other and our relationship with God and how important teamwork and community is and also how important it is to have a a realistic view of what's going on around us and not rose-colored glasses and not minimizing the things that we're looking at. It's going to show us what it looks like when people work together with God to do what seems impossible. And it's also got a realistic, almost every book of the Bible is like, well, I shouldn't say almost, every book of the Bible is like this, it's very realistic. It's idealistic too, no doubt about that. But it always gives the ups and the downs. It always gives the character flaws and the ways that God compensates for that. It always shows, shows God at his best. And it also shows man in a very realistic light. And the, and the book of Nehemiah um, is like that. And we're also going to look at spiritual warfare. Because spiritual warfare is not what most people think that it is. When they think about spiritual warfare, they think about, you know, going and getting the devil and casting out demons and all that. And that's part of it, right? But the way that the enemy works is often not a face-to-face confrontation. He works in a very subtle way. He works in a way that discourages us. In spiritual warfare, a lot of times, feels more like drudgery. It feels dull. You feel dull. Not like, you know, full of energy and the adrenaline is up or anything like that, you know. I mean, when we talk about prayer, that part of the aspect of prayer is spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about prayer, I just think about it being kind of dull. It's usually not when I'm actually praying. But when I'm thinking about praying, you know, thinking about getting up early in the morning and going straight to to reading the word, it's like, man, I'm going to need some coffee, you know. But it's not, but that is spiritual warfare. Overcoming inertia, overcoming lack of momentum, overcoming just the drudgery, and pouring yourself into the work when you don't feel like working. That's spiritual warfare. And, but we're going to see that in the book of Nehemiah because his enemies aren't attacking him with you know, swords and, and, uh, and you know, horses and chariots and all of that. His enemies are attacking him with words of discouragement. And I guarantee you that's what the enemy is working on us and, and you um, today with. So let's just start at the beginning. We're going to read um, the first 11 verses of the book of Nehemiah, and then uh, we'll come back and talk about them. So uh, Nehemiah 1.1 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Uh, now it happened in the month of Chislev. Chislev is... Um, the month that, um, this is before they, they celebrated this, but it's the month that Hanukkah um, is in. So it's November, December is about when it comes. And it's called um, the month of dream, dreams or dreamers is, is what the, the Jewish kind of tradition of it is. Um, this is going to be a bad dream for him, but um, it's kind of ironic that in the month of dreamers he got this, the dashing of, of their dreams so in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, uh, one of my brothers, came with certain men of Judah, um, that's where Jerusalem is located, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. 
Now they said to me, the remnant there is in the, in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I continued fasting and praying before, God, before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your, outca though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. That right there, that verse right there is a powerful, powerful, powerful verse and echoes effective prayer so many different times in the Bible. I'm thinking about Moses, when Moses came before God and God said, step out of the way, you know, I'm going to destroy him and I'll raise up a new people for you to lead. And this is the basis that Moses prayed. And it was effective prayer. Because it's not based on, the, on our uh, worthiness or anything else. It's based on the fact that they are your servants. They are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. That's powerful prayer right there. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then there's a transition statement here that's going to transition us into what we're going to talk about next week. It says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. So let's just kind of go back and look at um, these verses. Okay, so we already saw it was in the month of Chislev. Um, in the 20th year of uh, Artaxerxes' reign uh, in Susa, the citadel, that's their capital, um, capital city. And it says, Now Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. Now this statement, may, this may be one of those verses that you kind of pass over, but this gives us some real insight into uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in a position of authority, um, he's got it. He's, he's well taken care of. He's got responsibilities. He's like the cupbearer to the king, which is a very high um, official. It's not just somebody who drinks the cup to make sure there's no poison in it. That may have been what the original uh, position was, but he is in, uh, in one of the strongest and highest positions um, in the government at that time, which reminds us that God gives favor to his people. And there's so many examples of that, even though they're foreigners. Joseph is one, Daniel is one. Many examples of that, that God's favor is on his people, not just for his people, but for the world. And he puts them in positions of authority, not just to serve that country or that king, but to serve him. It's just a real good reminder of the fact that how 
the cream rises to the top. And, and the people that love God and serve God and are, and are focused on God, God is going to give them favor, and they will rise to the top. I'm not talking about in a position of exaltation or anything like that, but in a position of influence and in a, in a position of responsibility. He will, he will cause people to rise to the top. Um, and he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the exile and concerning uh, Jerusalem. So he's serving in this foreign government. He's, got, he's, he's well taken care of. And, but, and yet he still has the burden of the Lord. He still cares about something that is not necessarily his burden to bear. It, his heart is with the people. And he's brokenhearted. And this is years after the exile had happened. And he is not content. He is not content. He's asking. He's, he's seeking. He's knocking. He's, he's wanting to know. And he's wanting to be involved in that and they said to me the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame and the wall of jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire and here's the significance of this this is um this is probably about maybe 30 or 40 years after the book of esther um, when uh, when the jews the whole jewish population was threatened with annihilation um, and and god had rescued them and while that was going on, Jerusalem sits in devastation. The devil is always trying to kill us, man. You know? I mean, it's like dealing with terrorists. They, they're trying to kill you. They want to kill you. You know? So don't worry about making them mad because they're already mad. You know? And, and if they could, they would. You know? I'm not talking about world events today. I'm just talking about the enemy. I'm talking about the devil. You know what I'm talking about? He already wants to kill you. He's always looking for every opportunity to kill you. He's trying to annihilate the Jews by this official decree, and God, even though God's name is not even mentioned in the book of Esther, God does a miracle and turns them around from being the dregs of society to being the top uppermost of society. Not only does he save them, but he blesses them in Esther. And now Nehemiah is getting the word that the, that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And this has been years before that it has happened. But what, is the, what does the wall mean? What does that signify to these people? Security? Okay. Se I'm sorry? There, okay, so the, that's perfect. My two elders are answering perfectly. We didn't, we didn't script this. But a wall keeps something out and it identifies something on the inside, Right? And when the wall is broken down, these things just freely mix. Your enemies are freely coming in. Your identity is freely, you know, dissipating. You have no identity. You have, and, and, and not only that, you have no protection against the enemy. If this condition continued, the Jews would cease to be an identifiable nation. If this continued in this way, and, the Jew, and, and Jewish people, men and women, were not concerned enough to lay down their life and do something about it, they would cease to exist. And that's what Babylon had tried to do. They wanted to move them out and move other people in. They wanted to assimilate them in to, to uh, Babylonian um, society and culture and all of that. They wanted to take the best that Israel had to offer not give them anything and they would have dissipated they would have faded away they would have been a forgotten nation a, a, a footnote in history unless somebody had said no let me tell you something else that walls do walls keep walls define walls define good and evil 
There, and there is a difference between those. That was one of the effects of the fall, that God said, um, if you, um, the, that the devil said, said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, then you will... What was, was that God or was that the devil? I should have known that. He says you will, you will lose your ability to know the difference between good and evil. And that's the fact. That's what happened. When they ate that fruit, when they took their own way, when they said no to God and they said yes to themselves and they wanted to be as God, they wanted to be equal to God, then they were, they were cursed with knowing good and evil. God always intended us to know good. He didn't intend for us to know evil. And there will be a day when we won't have to deal with evil anymore. It'll be completely eradicated. But in the garden, when they, did, when they said no to God, they said yes to something that they did not understand. They said yes to losing the ability to tell the difference between good and evil. And can I submit to you, that is the direction that mankind is always going, and we're going there, you know, in a handbasket right now. <laughs> the inability to tell the difference between good and evil. The inability, like we, have, we are losing our ability, and I'm not talking about the world. I think the church has always had a, had a, 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 a positive effect on the world and a, a um, preserving effect on the world and, a, and a, a, a godly effect on the world. But I'm talking about the church now. I'm talking about the, the body of Christ more and more losing our ability to tell the difference between good and evil and calling evil good. And then calling good evil. And that's what a wall does. A wall says yes to this and no to that. It draws a line. And that line should be going right through the middle of our hearts, man. That, that line should not be just like some kind of exterior thing that is, that is drawn on some you know, meaningless ground, but through the middle of our hearts that we should be on a constant, regular basis Taking issue with evil here. Taking issue with evil, taking and and building the things that that are good. There should when the wall is broken down, man. We're just subject to anything. We we we're subject to any whim or any appetite or any lust that comes along. We lose our ability to say no. But when we when we strengthen that, when we build that wall, and when we strengthen that wall, our families benefit from it, our marriages benefit from it, our children benefit from it, our businesses benefit from it. Because we're not passive. We're not saying anything goes. We say, yes, for me and my house. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And this is what happened. They laid siege to Jerusalem um, for two years. Can you imagine that? Can you be, imagine being locked in your house for two years and all you got is the food that you had when the thing started, you know, two years ago? All, all your provision, everything you had. You think after two years that you would be pretty close to death if not dead? And so they, they breached the wall uh, the army escaped. Um, I think the king's name was um, Zedekiah or Zechariah, Zedekiah, and he and his men escaped. And the Chaldeans chased them down and captured them, and killed a bunch of them, and then captured the king and brought him back uh, to their capital city. And they slaughtered his sons before his eyes, and then they put his eyes out, and then they put him in chains. And they carried him off into captivity. And that was the end of that. 
And then they came back and they burned the city and they took everything of value out of the temple and they burned the temple to the ground and destroyed it brick by brick. And then they tore, tore the wall down. And that's the devastation that they left there. Talk about feeling helpless. The thing is, though, with Israel, the difference is, is that they knew that was God. That was not the Chaldeans. Everybody else that gets captured and, 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 and taken away like that thinks their gods failed them, but Israel knew it wasn't God's fault. It was their fault. He made that clear to them. Other nations, when, they, when they're conquered like that, they, they say our gods were, um, were powerless. Israel says our, gods are, our God is mighty powerful. He is powerful for good, and He is also powerful for correction. They came back, they destroyed the gates by fire, they burned the city, they tore the temple down, and they tore the, uh, they tore the wall down. And that's the report that Nehemiah got. And he said, as soon as I heard these words, as soon as I heard these words, I took it personally. I took it personally. He said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And before we get to his prayer, let me just look at his posture here, okay? Because he got bad news that he could easily have ignored. Because it wasn't him. He's doing fine. He doesn't have to identify with these people. He's doing fine. He's doing well. And yet he sat down and he wept for many days. And, and let me just submit to you, there are some things worth weeping about. There are some things worth weeping about. Not taking a joke over, not taking it in stride, not being positive, think, having positive thinking and, and just being optimistic about it. There are some things that are worth weeping about. I read a statistic today in connection with this. Google, how many churches close in the United States? How many churches close their doors in the United States in a year? Anybody want to guess? Don't Google it, just guess. Guess, anybody, give me a number. Huh? 50,000, no, that's high, fortunately. 6,000 to 10,000 churches a year close their doors. There's some things worth weeping about. Now, I'm not saying some of those churches probably had no life in them and, and they, they were doing their own thing and you know, they, they weren't passing it on to another generation and they're, they're failing to walk in the fullness of what God has for them. Some of them are like that, but some of them is just people that just didn't see the warning signs and the wake-up call. And I'm talking about churches closing. How many marriages fail every year? How many People who stood at the altar and pledged and loved each other and said, till death do we part. And even people who love the Lord and God makes a promise to them and they make a promise to each other and God says, I will be with you. And they say, till death do we part. How many, what percentage of those fail and end? It's a lot more than 10,000. It's a lot more than that. And somebody ought to weep. There's some things that are worth weeping for. These things don't have, they may happen suddenly, but they're not, it's not the result of something that suddenly happened. 
It's the result of something that has been going on for a long time. That the warning signs are there, and people get to the first of the year, or they get to their birthday, or get to their anniversary, or something like that, and they don't stop and take stock and say, if we keep doing what we're doing, what's going to happen? It's a tragedy that happens there, but it's also an attitude that has brought them to that tragedy. Brought us to that tragedy. Because we never stopped to take stock, and even if they did to stop to take stock, they never really repented. They never really turned around. You could stand here today and say, you know, what, what, is, you know, what is contributing to your success? Do more of that. What is contributing to your stumbling and your failing? Do, do less of that. Confess your sins. And what does the Bible say if we confess our sins? He is faithful and just. 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and to cleanse us. So it's not just stopping doing the sin, but it's also cleansing us. It's not just that there's no offense between us and God. It's that God is involved in the healing process as well and the restoring process as well. And what's, re- what's required of that? Just Repentance. That's all it is. Doing like Nehemiah did and hearing the hard words, asking for it and hearing the hard words and then responding in a way that shows that his heart is in this, that he cares about this. And that's where we have to start in prayer. We're going to look at the prayer, but the posture is just as important. Devastation, brokenness. Nobody wants to hurt. Nobody wants, and we think we can turn a blind eye to it and we won't hurt, but we will hurt and it'll be worse if we keep putting it off. It's like if you've got a problem with the IRS, man, you want the earlier you address it, the better. Because you know what they're doing? They're they're getting interest. They're going to be getting interest on that, even if you don't know you have it. But if you know you have it, you sure better take it to and get straight. Because it's only going to get worse. So he begins to pray and he says, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Who does, what does that sound like? Does that, sound, does that echo something? Like, where did he get that, you think? When Moses was in the mountain and he said, God, show me your glory, this is almost word for word what God says to Moses in the mountain. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's chesed. That's, uh, that's, um, that's God's covenant love. That's that unconditional love of God that he, that he gives. That is characteristic. That, if you want to know what is God like, that's the first thing that you have to say. He's a God of compassion, steadfast love. But here's the, here's the key for all of us when we start to pray. Don't start praying with your need. Don't start praying with the things that you want Him to do. Don't start, don't start your prayer by asking Him. Now, I understand sometimes, man, we hit the hit the you know on our knees sliding into his presence and we're like oh god help you know and that's fine to do that but effective prayer starts by focusing on him not focusing on us and talking about who he is and what he is and so when nehemiah starts his prayer he's reminding himself but he's also saying to god hey god here's somebody that knows you that's going to be praying to you Here's somebody that understands, and you have somebody on the face of the earth who, whose eyes are filled with your presence and filled with the knowledge of God. I know who you are. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And let me just point out to you that 
if, as you're taking stock of your life, and if, as you're taking stock of where you are, and being thankful for the good things, you, you need to balance that, man. Not just, you know, digging for the, you know, for the dirt, but also, you know, acknowledging the gold as you're letting the Holy Spirit evaluate your life and, and convict you and, 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 um, and support you. Um, and as you're doing that, remember that in all your failure, in all your shortcomings, in all your flaws, God has a solution. And it's not hard to figure out. God has a solution. Even Israel, when they were at their worst, God had a solution for them. That's what they were walking away from. That's what they were failing to practice. Because every sacrifice that they did was a solution to sin. Not a complete solution, but a, certainly a temporary solution. It was an acknowledgement of sin, but it was also the forgiveness of God, that God was saying, I have dealt with that. Now you have offered a sacrifice for yourself or for your family or for, uh, you know, for the nation. You have offered a sacrifice, and I have imparted that sin onto this sacrifice. And I'm not going to hold you responsible for that sin anymore. Every sin that they had, every step along the way, every time that the prophets cried out to him and said, you're wrong, you're walking away from God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, right with that word was also the invitation to restoration. It wasn't just condemning. It was redeeming. So remember that. That, that should keep us from being afraid to acknowledge our sin our failure, our shortcoming, our flaws. Because right with that acknowledgement comes the grace of God. It's right there. Compassion. Redemption. He loves this stuff. He loves it. It's what he's, it's what he's looking for. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you even I and my father's house. And that's the second thing. You start by talking about God. You start by, by lifting God up and putting him in his proper place. You start by speaking praise to him and not just empty words, but you're acknowledging who he is. And then the second thing is, is that you move on to repentance. Before you move on to requests, it's effective prayer. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And this is an example of one of those. He's acknowledging God. He's putting God in his proper place. And then he's acknowledging himself and his own failures and his own sins. And not just himself, but his people. He's, he, he is um, interceding. And interceding is bearing a burden that may not necessarily be just your burden. But you're extending it to others. You're willingly in prayer bringing this before the Lord and acknowledging it and submitting yourself to Him and repenting. Saying the same thing about your sin that He says. That's what confession is. Confess is to say the same thing about it that God does. Not calling it a nice name, but calling it what God calls it. He loves those kind of conversations because life comes out of that. All the rest of it is just baloney. It's just flowery words. But that is life. He's got like now I got something to work. There's some fertile ground that I can plant something in, and, a, and fruitfulness is going to come out of that in your life. We have sinned against you, even me, me, I and my father's house have sinned. 
Then he goes into detail. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And then he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And this is where, this is where um, Israel being conquered is so different than other nations being conquered. That's not a sign of God's failure. That's a sign of God actually keeping his word. And that's so important. It's so important for parents to do that. That if parents say, if you do this, this is what you're gonna, what's going to happen. And then they do it, and they find out that you weren't even really very serious about that. <laughs> and so the next one that you say, don't do this, they're like, yeah, let's try it. Look, I've raised kids. I know what it's like. Tell them not to do something, and what are they going to do? They're going to do it, Right? James Dobson once said that um, uh, a good, being a good parent is like being a night, a, a, a night watchman. No, kids, kids are like a night watchman. They go around and they try the doors, you know? But they don't want the doors to be unlocked. They want the doors to be locked. But they try the doors to make sure that they're locked. And that's what your kids will do. They will try you to make sure that you really mean what you say. And if you don't mean it, don't say it. This is what Nehemiah is saying. He said, God, you told us that this would happen. This is your doing. Because, and we so richly deserved it. So there's nothing between me and God. I'm not holding God. I'm not blaming God. I'm not mad. Why is God mad at me? I'm fully acknowledging my position, and I'm fully putting myself in a position where he can show grace to me, and he can show rest and restoration to me. He doesn't have to treat me like a reprobate or like I'm stiff-necked. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them back to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Even though they have failed, even though they have strayed, even though they have turned away from, they are still your people. They still have bear your name. Man, it is such power in prayer when you can say, I belong to Jesus. I am not perfect, but the devil has no place in me. He has no part in me. There's no place. I belong to my Father. He is my Father. And just like an earthly father, we identify with and we use him as an example and we, we love him and he provides for us and all of that. Your heavenly father so much more than that. You are imprinted with a name that can't be erased. I'm not saying people can't walk away from God. People do it all the time. And I'm not saying there's no consequence to that. But I'm saying on God's side, when he looks at you, he says, you're my people. You're my people. You're my covenant people. You belong to me. That gives you some firepower when you stand up against the enemy. He wants you to think you're vulnerable. you got a dad that's on your side, no matter how far you have strayed. So you know what? Don't stray. <laughs> Don't do that. And then his request, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today 
and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now I was cupbearer to the king. And that's going to transition us to what's going to happen next week. Because what, it's one thing to be brokenhearted and it's another thing to do something about it. And that's where he is right now. He's fixing to do something about it. And he knows that he's going to need God's favor. Because these kings were famously violent and vindictive and suspicious and paranoid uh, and anybody stepping up making a request was always viewed as something like they were trying to manipulate and use the king so it's a dangerous thing what he's setting his face but he is full of courage and and he's he's praying to god god give me favor god give me favor with this man because i have set my heart to do something just that's life-changing that's world-changing let me finish with this kind of to recap some of the things that we talked about this morning steps to rebuild restore and renew as we're looking forward to the new year as a, co a congregation but as individuals as well and it's the body of christ you know i mean i identify with the whole body of christ not just tyler christian fellowship i'm so thankful for this but man I, there is so much going on in other places and other congregations that i just am so thankful to god for that's going on in our city and in our nation that i'm a part of because i'm a part of the body of christ but specifically for myself and for our congregation. The first is to embrace the truth. Jesus said, if you, if you ask and seek and knock, you, you're going to have what you ask for. And the first is to embrace the truth. Nehemiah asked for the truth. Search me and try me and know my heart. And let me know if there's anything within me that's displeasing to you or that is blocking my relationship with you. How hard it is for us to see ourselves. We justify ourselves. We don't want to see the hard truth. Pray that prayer. Oh, God will answer that prayer. And it will not be misery to you. It will be life to you. Ask. Ask. The second is to turn your eyes to God. Seek Him. Don't let your problems be or your deficiencies or, or any of that be your, your focal point. It's part of landscape, a very necessary part of the landscape. But let your attention be on Him first and foremost because in His light, you'll be able to see it. In this light, it's all darkness. But in His light, you'll be able to see Him first, the solution, your identity the definition of good before you gaze upon evil. Turn your eyes to God and seek. Nehemiah said for many days he fasted and prayed. He set himself to do that. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I really encourage you to. When we did uh, Rooted, um, we had our, um, our Rooted groups um, have a, a night of prayer or a day of prayer, and it was an extended time of prayer. So most of us would be kind of uh, a little bit intimidated by setting aside an hour a day you know, to pray. Some people do that, I know, and then other people just think, I could never, never, never do that. And in fact, you can do it. You could do it a lot more than you think, and you would, you would enjoy it, if I can say it that way. You would be exhilarated by it. You would be renewed by it um, if you would actually do it. But he set his, he set his heart to, to pray and to seek the Lord for days. That was, a, that was an exercise of his will. In response to the Lord, but it was an exercise of his will that he just said, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. He fasted and he prayed to seek the Lord. So turn in an intentional way. A lot of times God puts stuff in front of us and he's like, what, so what do you want? What do you want to do with it? And he's looking for us to engage our will and say, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this. 
Not just to give something up, but to get more of you. And finally, is prepare yourself to work. And that's what that last thing is. He, he knows that this is the foundation. Like if you look in the, in the book of Acts, and you see this incredible explosion that happens um, in the second chapter of Acts, do you know where that came from? The fuse was lit in the first chapter of Acts when they were all together in one pray, place praying. The fuse is lit, and then the explosion happens, and everybody's just like, wow, what a great explosion, what an awesome thing, what a great revival, what, what great success, and all of that. But it all starts with this. Prepare yourself to work by praying and preparing yourself, asking God for favor, asking God for success. I've said this many times before, but it bears, bears repeating that God always gives us a part to play in whatever it is to do. He gives us the easy part, and He does the hard part. So like when I quit smoking cigarettes, God said, I'll take away your desire for cigarettes. And He did. But He gave me something to do too. He said, don't buy another pack. And I'm like, well, I can bum cigarettes off of my friends. And then you find out it don't work. <laughs> you lose friends that way, right? And sure enough, that's what happened. Stop buying cigarettes. God will take it away. S simple, you know, uh, insignificant example, but it works for everything else. It works for everything else. You say, God, heal my home. And he says, I'll give you a little something to do, and I will do the impossible. He told the priests, put your feet in the Jordan. That was a little something that they could do. Why was that necessary? Just so they could act in obedience to God, and then they could see the power of God come. So the last one is to prepare yourself to work. God is going to give us something to do. He's going to give us some responsibilities. It's going to be hard. Probably real hard, but nothing compared to what he does. What he does is going to be stuff that we could never do. Amen? All right, so Wednesday night, we're going to meet for prayer. And uh, just come. We, probably we're going to keep it to an hour. That's what we usually do with prayer. We'll have a time of worship. We'll have a time of individual prayer. We'll break off and everybody can just kind of go and just spend some time with the Lord. Seeking, you know, asking um, letting the Holy Spirit search our hearts and then we'll come together and we'll pray together <coughs> at the end. We'll see how it works. But usually we just do it where, you know, we let the Holy Spirit lead us in prayer and it's just he, the way he orchestrates it is awesome. Um, if we have, you know, a pretty good sized group, then we'll probably break off into two or three smaller groups so that everybody will have an opportunity to, to uh, pray um, and, and less intimidated. And then we'll come back together again and worship one hour together do this every wednesday this coming we'll have um child care have we worked that out yet so we will have child care so um you know bring your kids if your older kids want to join in uh prayer they're certainly welcome we may even have the youth group break off and have um like a youth group um, circle to pray so let's stand together Thank you, Lord. You want to lead us in a chorus? Sing this together. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Oh, Jesus, shine your light and 
let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen king let's declare it now shine your light shine your light and let the whole world see that we're singing for the glory of the risen king oh jesus shine your light and let the whole world see that we're singing for the glory of the risen king savior he can move the mountains my god is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave you rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave Shine your light and let the whole world see. Sing it for the glory of the risen King. Oh Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. 
Heroes and conquered the grave. 